0: everybody. Welcome to Sharp Thoughts. I am John, also known as DJ Sharp. And in this podcast, we're going to take an open and honest look at, well, my life. I'm going to talk about my battles with mental health, like depression and anxiety. I'm going to talk about my efforts to get my shit back together to be a better father, husband, and just overall man. So we're going to discuss getting back into the gym, getting the weight down. We're going to discuss clean eating, and I'm going to address my love affair with food. I hope to have an organic conversation with uh, friends and other experts in fields that I know little to nothing about and have a variety of things on this podcast. But most importantly, this podcast is going to be about men's mental health and the struggles that we all face with it, whether we want to admit it or not. So I invite you guys into my life. I invite you guys to take the trip with me, and I hope and I pray that one person gets something from this podcast. So let's go. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back. Fourth episode, Sharp Thoughts. I am John, also Sharp. However the hell you want to say it again, I don't care. Um, this is probably the most fun I'm going to have as a podcast. Uh, my first interview, we're going to talk uh, with a um, service military veteran, good good friend of mine, Brad. He's going to talk about uh, transition back into civilian life. We're going to talk about issues with the VA. We're going to talk about mental health with our veterans. And we're going to talk about how we help as people that haven't served. Um, big thing I wanted to do in my second episode when I talked about, when I talked about this, when I talked about mental health issues, when I talked about my battle with anxiety and depression, I wanted to touch on PTSD. However, I have no clearance for that. I did not serve. I didn't do anything. So I did not feel that it was my place to say anything, but I think more and more of us in, in civilian life need to look at our veterans and try to figure out, How the hell do we help them? Because I don't think we do that a good, I I just don't believe we do a good job of that. We do a lot of things very well for our veterans, but the fact that we still have homelessness rampant in our veterans coming back, I believe the suicide rate is up to 22 a day. Uh, We have countless ones with PTSD, countless countless ones that just are really struggling to get back into civilian life. So we're going to talk with somebody that's actually dealing with some of those things. Uh, But the main thing is we're not going to tell any war stories because the only motherfuckers that want to talk about war stories are the people that did not actually see any kind of combat. They don't want to fucking hear about that. Uh, It doesn't matter what his statistics are in battle. None of those things matter. The unholiness of war, the savagery of war, runs buckshot through... Every part of a veteran's body as they try to come home mentally, physically, emotionally, all of the things are so scarred. So how do we help them? One, we got to know what they're going through. We're not going to physically, we're not going to actually like no, no, but we can certainly empathize. We can listen. We can try to get help and we can demand our politicians do more. We can demand people in charge do more. The fact that the Pact Act is still being fought about is embarrassing. For you guys that don't know what the PACT Act is, it is an act to get VA benefits extended to our survivors and first responders from 9-11. That was 20, 21 years ago. And we're still fighting to get those people help. As a society, we have absolutely fucking failed. On every level. So we're going to have a very uncomfortable conversation. It's going to be natural. It's going to be calm anything he doesn't want to answer we move on from this is not meant to put his shit out there we're not airing any dirty laundry we're not taking personal attacks on anybody we need to start healing we need to start changing when you start adjusting how we look at the men and women coming home so with that brad i'm going to give you a couple minutes go ahead and tell your story whatever time you need you take um and then we'll get into some questions we'll have just a natural conversation like we were having before we started recording
1: and we'll see where this goes Yeah, hi everyone, I'm Brad. Uh, I did 12 and a half years, got discharged medically for bad knees, which I'm 10% disabled for, three knee surgeries. I did two tours, 04 to 05 and 08 to 09 in Iraq. That's uh, where the mental health issues and the PTSD come from is uh, 04 to 05, because it was uh, a different time, a different war back then than it was my second tour. Luckily, uh, I've gotten the help that I needed after many, many, many years. And I, I the biggest thing for me was struggling with everything is the support system that I have in my life. I have a lot of great friends and family who are there for me. Uh, and that's the biggest thing as, as far as I'm concerned, because like John was saying, the VA is kind of a joke when it comes to certain things and if it wasn't for the friends and family and the support system that I have and letting go of a lot of toxic people in my life, I probably wouldn't be off as well off as I am.
0: Thank you, man. So let's, let's, let's get into this shit. So first transitioning back because we know the brotherhood that you guys, we hear about it all the time. We understand the relationships that you build in your platoons. Um, in whatever division and all those great things coming back as you exit the military, as you try to get a corporate job, as you try to just find life after the military, what are the biggest things that you feel that you've struggled with? And what are some of the biggest things that you've seen overall men and women that serve struggle with coming back?
1: Well, I know uh, I like, <clears throat> the 12 and a half years that I did, it was in the National Guard. It wasn't active duty. However, I did more active duty time than I did national, the one week in a month thing. When I, The first time I came home, it was we went to Fort Dix. We out-processed. We did medical. We did all of our paperwork, and then they just sent us home. That was it. There was no afterthought of us at all. Now, the second time, they did a little bit of a better job, they set up these programs. It was called the Yellow Ribbon, and it was a a full day. You went through, and you had a whole bunch of classes with the PA um, State Police were there talking about new traffic laws that came out. Oh yeah, it was it, it it was a joke, a legit joke. They ended it with uh, you know, giving numbers for mental health. For the civilian world but the military in a whole they prepare you how to do, how to fight for a war they prepare you to do all this when you're overseas but they don't prepare you to deal with anything when you come home I mean you could just look at the stories look at the statistics guys come home women come home and you're just not the same person and anybody who goes to war says that they come back the same person, they're lying. Straight up lying. And, you know, we're, we're men and women. We get, that's our job. And we're, I wouldn't say trained, but afraid to go seek that mental help because we're afraid we're going to be looked down upon, not only by our leaders, but more or less society and the people around you. And I don't think that's just necessarily the men and women who serve. But as you touched on your other your other cast, that with men's mental health, if you know, a man goes, it's different than if a woman goes for mental health. And it's it's the same thing in the military. It's a really the exact good Exact same mental health and men. Women I'm not saying women's mental health is not important, but men's mental health in a whole whether you're a veteran or not a veteran has kind of went to the wayside
0: it has and if you look look again look at the statistics uh, I believe it's close to 70 to 75% of men that attempt suicide are successful I believe that percentage the successful rate drops to like 40 to 50% in women
1: men do it more violently right because um, we, when we when I'm I, I've had a couple people that I've been deployed with who have taken their life due to PTSD and every one of them has taken a gun to their head. If they're gonna do it, they're they're gonna do it. I can't speak for them because I don't know what was going through their minds, but the survivor's guilt, the rage that you have inside, not only towards yourself, but the world, Army, the Army, the Marines, Navy, nobody in the military, like they don't prepare you to deal with that when you come home. It's a big issue that the government, the VA, and the military just dance around. And like you said, 22 a day, that's too much. Right.
0: So let, let's talk about that. So as you come into civilian life, you come <clears throat> home, there's going to be the party. The family's going to throw the party. The friends are going to come back. Everything's going to be great. In your mind, should the party still happen? It's going to be the welcome home. Everyone is super excited to see you. And to your point, they didn't prep you for what to do. They didn't give you any information other than the stop sign may have changed the fucking color, which is ridiculous to me. Um, where
1: Where did you want to go when you got home? So the first thing I did when I came home was to go see my kids that was the very first thing I did and then like the party it everybody's different you know I didn't have a wife girlfriend to come home to so you know I wanted like the first tour I came home and that's what I did i friends had a big old party It was great uh, my my PTSD I was in denial when I came home the first time majorly denial I was drinking very heavily, very heavily. I was at the bar six out of seven days a week, and it wasn't always just Sunday I wasn't there. It was whatever day I couldn't find someone to drink with and just be with, because I didn't want to be alone. Um, The biggest moment for me that made me realize that I needed the help, there was two of them. I got blackout drunk one day, one night, at the bar with with some family members, went home, don't remember how i got home i just know i didn't drive i woke up i had an atm receipt in my pocket spent more money than i wanted to and then i went to the movies with uh friends of mine to go see oh man what was that movie it was uh jarhead went to go see jarhead and the, the, there was a scene in there where i had to get up out of the movie theater and walk out cuz it it hit home yeah and then on the way home i had to pull over cuz i had a breakdown and that's when i decided i needed to get help before it got way out of control cuz it was i was already spiraling at that point but luckily you know i had good friends and family that were there for me to support me in my decision to get the help but not everybody has that when they come home a lot of people who join the military do it to get away from a bad life so they don't have that support system so that's why, like, the camaraderie in, like, a platoon or a unit is so big because there are some people who do it to get out of a bad life. That's crazy. I didn't even think about
0: that. I didn't even think about the movie Jarhead, which was a good movie, but it never even hit me that, holy shit, there could be men and women that are serving them. But anyway, um, let's look at society itself. What are some of the things that you need us to stop doing that we just naturally do because we have no idea what you're going through. What do you need society to just please stop doing as men and women come home?
1: I think the biggest thing is, you know, asking those questions that nobody wants to answer. What, what did you see? What did you do? Did you kill somebody? Did you shoot somebody? We don't want to talk about that. Like not at all. You know, it's, and like you said before, the ones who want to talk about it are generally 99.9% are the ones who didn't see shit, who sat behind a desk pushing that paper or saw or heard a story from somebody and thought, oh, man, that's that's a cool story. I'm going to tell that when I get home. Jesus. Like, o- over there, like, hmm, when I say there's people who never leave the wire, the first time I was over... I kind of had to laugh because the elections, the first elections were going on, which was a huge deal over there to make sure everything went off without a hitch. Everybody, you know, played our part for things. You know, my platoon, we were in charge of a a relay station to make sure that, you know, transmissions for people who were out at the polls, which was still dangerous because we were in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere, and we had to be there for the entire time. We're out to two three days you know eating MREs using baby wipes to shower got one uniform it's 120 degrees you know you you come back to the you know you come back on post and it's chow time you just got done eating MREs for like two three days you want to sit down and have some real food you got literally people standing there at the call them chow hard chow hall guards check your ID or whatnot. And they tried telling us we weren't allowed in cause we had dirty uniforms. Oh yeah. Yeah. Our, our captain got right up in his face and was like, no, they were just out. We're coming in. Deal with it. It was rough.
0: All right, let's move to the VA. And I see the look on your face. So I've, I've watched my father-in-law some of the issues he's had with the VA. His primary care physician is in York, which is similar to you. And then specialists, he has to drive from just north of York all the way out to Lebanon. And for anyone that doesn't know the area we're in, it's about a 45-minute to 90-minute drive, depending on traffic. It is not an easy drive. You're on major U.S interstates, if you're not comfortable driving on those, it can be it can already add to how hectic you're already feeling having to travel over an hour just to get any kind of medical care, whether that's physical, mental, emotional whatever it is. So when we look at the VA, is it the people working in the VA? Or is the VA system
1: itself just flat out broken? It, it all depends. I actually changed my primary care from Camp Hill to York because uh, I was getting, I was had one of my knee surgeries, and it was service related. So I was trying to apply for my disabled my disability that I'm entitled to for it because it's a service related injury uh, in Camp Hill. I got no help whatsoever. They wouldn't give me my medical records, nothing. To file the paperwork, I had to go through a representative in New York to get the paperwork filed. However, the reason why I changed is when I was doing my physical therapy, I was doing it in New York. There was a nice young nurse there who, whatever I needed for my paperwork or nothing, was on point, printed it out for me. You know, just, I didn't even have to make an appointment. When I was there, after my physical therapy, i just go down, see her, she print everything out for me, give it to me. Camp Hill, it was the people that worked there. York, it's the system. Because, and it's the system as a whole. Because there's a lot of loops. I broke my finger many years ago. Went to a hospital right here in Hanover. They told me it was broken I would need a pin I need some surgery I wanted a second opinion so I I wanted to see the ortho guy Lebanon well I was told I had to go to my primary care to get a referral well I had to wait a week to get my to see my primary care to get the referral then it was a week after that that I got my my uh, specialty at ortho it's the hoops that you got to jump through if I know because I went to I had my x rays and everything. But I couldn't go straight to ortho. I go to primary care. Why do I have to go to primary care and have a primary doctor tell me? Oh, yeah, your fingers broken. Let's send you to ortho. Well, I already know it's broken. I have x rays. I have Hanover over hospital like, why do I have to go through you? It's just it's ridiculous. Just the hoops with the VA are ridiculous.
0: What kind of programs do they have in place to help on the mental health side? Because we understand you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years of knowing each other about what, what a lot of veterans face coming home. Where is the VA's programs to address the mental health side of issues?
1: I, from personal experience, it's a lot better than what it was uh way back when they actually like myself uh as you all know since we've known each other for a long time uh this past year has been an extremely rough part of my life however the va has allowed me to speak to somebody whenever i needed to uh through phone care with the pandemic going on you know it was and then after you know they relaxed everything i was given the option that i could still go in i could actually show up or i could continue to do the phone care well i continue to do the phone care because lebanon is like you know almost a two-hour drive for me they don't have any they don't have anything in york for that uh camp hill they used to i don't know if they do anymore they used to have like group stuff but a lot of the mental health facilities and people are in Lebanon. So and that's, we, I, I think having mental health access to at your primary care physicians would be a, a lot better. Because then I would just, I, I go to York. I right. would go to York. The VA has also started paying for, if you live so far away from what you need, you can pay, you can go somewhere else and they'll pay for it. That's great that's terrific they, they've gotten a lot better with it but still having you know if you're talking to someone and you get comfortable with somebody and then like they go away or you know because a lot of the doctors at the va or they volunteer their time or they're only there short term and if that doctor goes away then you got a, a new one who comes in you may not feel comfortable with them so you you go out somewhere and you have to look. That I'm just not a big fan of that. That's a really
0: good point. Anyone that has ever seen a psychiatrist or a therapist of any kind, you genuinely start to build a relationship with them. Because you're pouring your heart out. You are letting everything go with that person. Mm-hmm. And when you have that, I, I want to say connection, but you have that that relationship with them where you feel comfortable to just let it all hang out. It takes time to build that.
1: Yeah, it takes time to build that trust with somebody. And that's that's what it is, is building that trust. Right. And as a society, I don't think we give our veterans or anybody else, or anybody else who seeks mental help that time. You know, you're like, oh, you're going, that's great. Why aren't you fixed yet? Yeah,
0: that's a it, really it, good
1: point. It takes time, whether, you know, you're whatever you go for, you know, like, Kids who parents are going through a divorce, you know, they go, they go to child psychi- psychologist, and you know, uh, wh- whatever it may be, whatever mental health issue you have, as a society, it's it's rough. We treat them roughly. We we think of them as weak, and then being a veteran, you're really thought as weak if you do it, and it makes it even worse on us.
0: So let's move into PTSD for just a minute, because I think that's what really sparked my conversation with you about doing this this episode. Uh, and I got I want to make sure I tread lightly, because PTSD anything can be a trigger uh, a cat walking by, a car backfiring, a smell, anything. Where does the VA stand? on trying to address that issue because you can't even start talking about PTSD as a concern and as a health issue until you're already a month in. Depending on how bad your situation is for you, and again, this is a situation for you, I'm not going to dictate how you feel. I'm not going to dictate to you how you're supposed to feel coming home from the savagery that you just saw when we look at ptsd and ptsd can go through so many different things a car accident sexual assault combat anything ptsd triggers all over the place it is an absolute epidemic in our veterans and it's one that we don't give enough respect to for you where could the va go to help get us closer to allowing our veterans to get help faster because sitting there for a month 30 31 days is a long time and a lot can happen in a month
1: oh yeah absolutely uh that's uh after the iraq war started off and then if you look at the veteran suicide rate then it was a lot higher because veterans were coming home and the va didn't know how to deal with it they didn't they weren't prepared for it they had no programs no, nothing set up, and that's that's why there was that waiting period, because there were some people who, when they came home, tried to make claims that were false, so they had to do some research. Well, they've gotten a lot faster with that, but still, that wait period was was rough on a lot of veterans, and you know, a lot of veterans unfortunately took their lives because they were in that waiting period. Now it's just a simple phone call and if you can't get a hold of somebody they have a veteran suicide line now so where if you feel like that you can call this number and you automatically get get hooked up with somebody so personally i went through a lot with my ptsd i was in denial for a very long time that i had it i thought hey, this is normal you come home this is normal now you're adjusting you're adjusting it's normal it's normal. What made me realize that I needed some help was having a barbecue with some friends and uh, one of my friends they went they turned on I was slicing tomatoes up they went out and turned on the grill and they added lighter fluid because they're dumb <laughs> we, were, we were like 23 22 23 years old just added lighter fluid. And, since sends his hair that smell triggered me I, I don't remember much I know I like I blacked out and I was when I came to I was sitting on the couch and they all told me like I was talking to them it was crazy but to me it was me reliving that moment of what was going on so that's a big thing the night terrors of reliving that moment just the smells sounds it's rough there's you know you're gonna have good days good weeks good months good years but then something could change in your life and it's knowing, for me, it's knowing when to seek that help. You know, like, you were one of the first people when my fiance and I broke up. You were one of the first people I reached out to. Because I, you know, I wanted to tell somebody. And then I kind of knew like that was a big change in my life, a major change. So the first thing that I did and I knew it was going to be me and I knew I was, it was going to put me into a depression. I reached out and I made some appointments to get that mental help because I was also dealing with a chronic back pain at the time. And that was, I should have reached out sooner for that mental help because chronic pain, whether it's like service related, uh, with my knee before I had my surgeries, I was very angry because I was in a lot of pain and that chronic pain changes your personality changes who you are and the one big thing with the VA that I was not a fan of I got my first knee surgery done I had they gave me Vicodin I didn't take it all because I didn't need it and then when I went and had a minor procedure done they were like oh you got a prescription of Vicodin that you didn't fill you want you just want to go fill that i was like no give me ibuprofen 800 this is something minor i don't need narcotics for this they push a lot of narcotics back i don't know if they still do because i haven't been there for pain in a while but they push a lot of narcotics back back then that was their way of trying to make the pain go away the vicodin the the percocets oxycodone they pushed it oh here go away we got it was almost like it was a numbers game to them you know get everybody through now on the mental health side they didn't like to put you on medicine unless you absolutely needed it and I think the some of the people who needed it they didn't get it and that's why the suicide rate is so high or they got it wrong
0: that's a really good point I I don't understand the issue we have so much data and again I'm not uh I have no medical degrees in this I just I just try to see it for what it is we have been watching men and women come back from war specifically men for centuries this is not a new phenomenon the Iraq not war was not the first war we've ever seen we had two World Wars, and the men and women coming back from those were scarred beyond belief. Uh, look at it. World War One; changed war tactics. World War One was the first time we saw a Gatling gun actually be able to use any kind of real damage. The Gatling gun is dated back as old as the Civil War, but it was very inefficient. Well, World War One, they figured it out. And yet, World War One, they were still walking in a straight line, firing a musket or firing whatever rifle they had at that time. I don't, it wasn't the musket anymore; it was the
1: M1 carbine. Thank you. That's what it was.
0: So let's let's look at that for just a second. I'm gonna I'm gonna put all of my pieces in a, in a line. You guys are gonna walk forward, and I'm gonna take one gun and just go down the line. Now we got the introduction to trench warfare. Trench warfare is a whole other psychological nightmare the flamethrower was a new phenomenon in World War one it was again in World War two it was unbelievable just the savagery of early war for us we had to know psychologically there was gonna be untold damage
1: Uh, on that point World War one World War two yes but the biggest one, I think where the most besides Iraq and Afghanistan was Vietnam. Oh yeah. The, the Vietnam veterans, the stories that I've heard from being at the VFWs, knowing family members of friends who, because a vet will talk to another vet. Yeah. Like I, I've had, you know, past girlfriends whose uncles were in the Vietnam war. They tell their family one story, but then when they realize, Oh, you're a vet, you know, the look, you know, that thousand yard stare, you know, all that. And it's easier to talk to a vet about things and there's the stories that I've heard. Oh my God. I don't know how some of these people like haven't freaked out and have, you know, murdered somebody by having a flashback. Vietnam was a whole other monster. Guys- Absolutely, and thats I think that Vietnam is where the VA and, and American society failed, started to fail the vets. And it didn't get better until Iraq and Afghanistan. If they would have started it back then and dealt with the issues back with the Vietnam War and those veterans, I don't think there was suicide rate and the VA would be a stronger facility and we'd have more programs available to veterans if they would if they would have handled Vietnam not the war but they would have handled the veterans coming home the correct way
0: Vietnam was also the last war that a draft was used now if you're going off to war you signed up for it again not diminishing what comes back from that but there was so much politically around Vietnam that society just absolutely shit on our veterans coming home from Vietnam. There was an unmitigated amount of pomp and circumstance as they came home from World War I, as they came home from World War II and even some of that coming home from Korea. And then you get into Vietnam and you get the chance of LBJ. How many kids did you kill today? You get the, the protests all over the place. It's also the height of the civil rights movement. It's the height of this sexual revolution of society in the 60s and 70s. There's so much going on socially in that time frame. The uh, drugs was everything at that time. You had military men and women bringing heroin back from Vietnam, selling it on the streets that became the drug of choice. It just ran rampant. Uh, you had so many different variables from that time. And now you're asking these men and women to come home and just go right back to normal. And now they're coming home at this time, they're coming home to shit being thrown at them, being spat at, being labeled as baby killers, as just the unmitigated amount of hate and disrespect that our service members faced coming home then and still see now. Cause it's, it's all going to still be the same. And with the addition of now social media, now you can just literally say whatever you want behind a fucking keyboard. And and it's just, it's so much worse. I don't want to say it's worse now than it was in Vietnam. Cause that diminishes what those guys went through. It's a different kind of terrible for mm-hmm. our veterans. It's a different kind of disrespect and the fact that we can go to bed at night and just be okay with the fact that there's so much veteran homelessness the veteran mental health you have companies that are trying to hire vet trying to hire veterans and i say that with a chuckle in my voice cuz i don't you have companies that just like new balance is huge behind veterans and then you have Lowe's that does a great job with their veterans. They get to the camo vest, which is mm-hmm. cool. I think that's just such a cool touch because now you're late. Like you're letting the customer see, hey, that guy served. We are super proud of them. We want you to know that they served. And then you have the other side, Google and Amazon, that just don't fucking care. And it's not, I'm not telling them they have to.
1: But it makes it hard on the vets. As a veteran, when you come home, if you don't already have a job to go back to it's hard to find a job because when you come home people are scared nervous to hire a veteran who has been the war
0: that's a really good point I didn't think of that
1: like they're, they're scared they, they won't say they're scared they will find whatever way to get around the oh he's a veteran I'm not gonna hire him because he's a veteran because I'm scared I don't know what he's gonna do I don't know how he's gonna act and that's what nowadays what sparked a lot of veteran owned companies and veteran ran companies like Black Rifle Coffee. Um, the, the clothing line, that as a matter of fact that I'm wearing now, run style, uh, nine line. You got a lot of veterans who decided, you know what? I'm tired of getting turned down for jobs. Nobody wants to hire us. I'm gonna go make a, I'm gonna make a couple of T-shirts, and all of a sudden they start selling. The people that, and it's to the same people. Oh, I'm not gonna hire them, but I'll buy their stuff. So then it turns into this big thing, and then, then you know, someone's like, oh, well, I'm gonna come work for you. No, you're not. You won't hire me. I hire strictly veterans. That's great. Like a lot, like that's what honestly, that's what sparked a lot of these veteran-owned companies and clothing lines and all this other stuff. Was people were afraid to hire veterans and it made it very tough for veterans to find a job because of that.
0: So what needs to change? I know the stigma is gonna still be there because we don't know what, I'll sit down with a veteran, I'll be, I wanna make sure I say this in the right way because I don't, I think I I think I think can exactly, I can relate to how that hiring manager feels. You do have some reservations You want to help them but on the flip side can you pay them what they're genuinely worth because of every the skill sets that you guys come back with is unmatched in our workforce the loyalty the attention to detail the camaraderie the team building there's only certain places you get that at that level you can say sports builds it sports doesn't build it like the military one of those rare times I'm actually kind of at a loss for words on this because there's so many things running in my head as we talk that this is just not a normal situation this is not it shouldn't be normal how do we change it what do we need what do you as a veteran need to see because we can have veterans day that's a great holiday but it doesn't fucking do anything memorial day yeah we take a day to honor the men and women that we lost you guys do it every fucking day Every fucking day is Memorial Day in your mind because you're never going to forget those people. Veterans Day, yeah, the banks are closed. But really, what do we do? Patriots Day after the attacks on 9-11, nothing comes from that. There's no Hallmark card that you go by. There's no Patriot Day tree. Yeah, we put a little nylon flag on the side of our house or you have the flag on your hat. You have your grunt-style T-shirt on. You have those, and that's great. But you're doing it because it's who you are. It's not a fad. It's not cool. It's just, it's who Brad is. How do we get to a place where veterans aren't homeless? The VA is able to do the things that a UPMC or a Wellspan, which are the two major medical corporations in our area, how do we get the VA to be able to function like those guys? I go to the doctor, I go to the hospital, I can see a primary care physician, I can get the blood work, I can see a psychiatrist, and I can walk out with my medications in the same fucking building. You go see a primary care doctor in York, and then you're shipped two hours out to another guy in Lebanon.
1: A lot of times through my, uh, my medicine, I would have to get, I get mailed to me, because the only pharmacy that they have is in Lebanon. Right. When, when I had the flu before the pandemic started, I actually caught the flu and I, yeah, I got my flu shot. I literally caught the flu before the pandemic started. I had the flu and strep throat and I had to get my medicine at a pharmacy on the way home, Close like from York to home. It was just, it's insane that they don't have access, that veterans don't have access to faster care. Because if you call your primary care doctor and you need to get in unless it's a, an emergency and now it's either flu related corona related you know you're not you're going to get in when they have an appointment like my back issue that i'm having um i wouldn't be able to get in until next month to see my primary care so i'm going out of pocket going straight to a, a chiropractor near my house And it's cheaper to go out of pocket than it is to go through the VA because a lot of times these physicians are like, oh, he's a veteran. I'm going to milk this. You know, you could be perfectly fine, but they'll want to see you. They'll want to see you, and they're going to charge the VA an arm and a leg. Yeah, granted, I don't pay for it. The VA's paying for it, but now that's taking money from because that doctor wants to overcharge the VA or any other insurance company, but specifically the VA, it's taking money out of programs that the VA could have, could have with with trying to help veterans, you know, find housing. One of the questions that they always ask you when you go to the VA, do you have a steady place to live? I've always answered yes, because I do. If I answered no, I don't know what they would do I, I really don't I don't know they've tried to help me find a place do they have a program for that I don't know it can't have a strong one how many yeah, it, homeless veterans do we see exactly now I do know like with me living as far away as I do I could easily get a ride but I would have to they would come pick me up at a certain time take me up there and then if my appointments run later than they leave then I'm stranded seriously oh yeah
0: you're, oh yeah, the ride that got you out there because
1: it's like a general bus ride, almost. It's a, like a. They a buy you a bus. bus ticket. Well, no, it's like not an actual bus, but like you know, like those little vans and stuff. Gotcha. It's it's one of those. It's not it's not you specifically. Okay. You'd be on a route, so that's why. Like, if you if you go to a VA, you'll see one of those van buses with the drop down for the veterans who are in wheelchairs and their appointments are always early because after a certain time that don't run no more. Right. And I, that's
0: that really awesome.
1: Me off. That's awesome that they have that, mm-hmm. but it should run from open to close. Yeah. Not just this time to this time.
0: When the last doctor leaves, that's when the last van needs to leave. Mm-hmm. And these are the kind of things that this is a government funded, Program. The government sent you into the conflict that caused the issues, whether physical or mental. The government brought you home on expensive-ass planes, and they can't get you to see a fucking doctor. Or if they get you there, there's a 50-50 chance that you don't fucking get back until the next morning. And then the bu- you got to hop back on the bus route the next day, or you got to call a friend or somebody... Now I'm sure we all have. Well, I would hope most of us have friends that would drive out there and make that, a, and make not even the sacrifice, just would do that at, because it's the right thing to do. But holy fuck, that's crazy
1: to me. Yeah, the, the the VA does have a lot of good points, but they also have a lot of bad points. And I just I don't know if it's corruption that's going on, which I'm sure it is. I'm sure there's people skimming off the top. That's why the programs aren't able to, to be there. I'm like, like we were talking earlier, these politicians, they make way more money than they should. And the, the extra money that they are making needs to go into government programs for not only just veterans, but mental health as a whole. Because I think as a country, the mental health recently has really diminished I don't know if it's because of the pandemic, but I know before the pandemic, it started to be on the decline. And I think the pandemic really, really pushed a lot of people over the edge with being isolated things being shut down, being forced to stay home instead of going out and being social. A lot of people use that being social as a way to like cope and deal with things. And they couldn't do that anymore the phone the phone call like the over the phone or zoom interactions with either it's work or your doctor's visit it's not the same it's not the same as being face to face with somebody and having that human interaction without a screen being deployed both times having to wait in a call center you know room probably a little bigger than this with in the middle you have computers on the outside is lined with phones we had to pay for phone cards we had to pay for like internet access it should have all have been free absolutely the phone cards though i will say not only the uso but a lot of familyness family readiness groups that were because every unit has a frg which is a family readiness readiness group and it's usually the wives girlfriends of everybody who deployed they come together they do fundraisers they get the phone cards they buy the phone cards they ship them over to us but the thing that's hard Is it like my first tour it was for every soldier when you were deployed with on the on our big big fob, anytime one passed away, it was twenty four hours per soldier. So if there was an ambush where multiple people, it was it's say four it was four days before I could send an email or a phone call to my family saying I'm okay or hey how was your day I, I understand why they I mean it's 24 hours per because that that gives them enough time to get the information home and be the ones to tell the family instead of the family finding out through you know, Joe, uh, Private Joe Snuffy over here just went and called, his, called home and said, hey, you know, such and such, this is what happened. Don't tell nobody. But, you know, as soon as, as, soon as you hear that, you're going to go right to that family. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry for your loss. What are you talking about? And they got to find out that way. So that's why they did that. So I understand it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's very tough because – and 0405, a lot of that stuff was like, you had the people over there from CNA and all that. They were putting it on the news every day. Every time there was an, you know, an attack or an ambush or something, that stuff was on the news. And if your family knew where you were stationed, which most of them did because, you know, the mail, mm-hmm. oh my God, are they okay? Well, now four soldiers just passed away in an ambush. Now I gotta wait four days to find out, is my son, my husband, my brother part of that. So yeah, the mental health for us and the PTSD for us is bad. But one thing nobody talks about too, is what it is on the family of that deployed soldier. Right. While they're gone, like when they come home even, cause that's not the same person that left you. Now they're gonna come home How do you deal with what they're going through? And that's why like, I believe a lot of marriages fell apart because of deployments. Those who really tried, not those who went off and had other people in their beds, but the ones who really tried and who were there, some of them failed because the wife or husband of the deployed soldier, didn't know how to handle them when they came home, nor did that soldier know how to handle things when we got home. And it's tough on everybody. You know, it's, husband comes home, used to having sex with his wife all the time. Now, doesn't want that, doesn't want to be intimate because he doesn't know how to deal with his feelings inside. Now that wife gets angry, starts harping on him Well, now that rage comes in because I didn't know I had this rage. And you see a lot of that that's, you know, and it, it causes fights. It causes guys who generally weren't violent when they left to get violent when they came home, because like I said in the beginning, the military trains you to, to deal with certain situations and you don't deal with the emotions at that point, they don't teach you how to deal with the emotions while after the fact. And then when you get home, it's a big mental relaxation because you're home. You don't have that weapon. You don't have that body armor you're wearing. You can relax a little bit. And you do relax. But then you get the people asking those stupid questions, and then you get angry you get people who don't give you your space or when you reach out for help look down on you. All that combined with everything, it's a lot. And, and mental health in, a gen- in general, but more so for veterans, really needs fixed. And it's a two-way street, the, the mental health with the family members that, that, that plays a big role because if the family members don't know how to deal with it and you don't look at things as a whole and you don't try to help you try to deal with your shit by yourself and then you try the other one tries to deal with their shit by themselves it makes it hard because you guys could be dealing with the same shit but you're not talking about it together and yeah when I came home the first time I was really closed off I have a picture I got home in October of 05. I have a picture of me at my uncle's house in Jersey with my cousin at Christmas time. I look like an empty shell. I, I look different. And I was different. I felt different. I didn't feel like me. It's been a while since I felt like me because of, like, the PTSD, the... The depression of going through my divorce through my first tour and then just this past year dealing with the breakup that i've dealt with it was a lot however knowing that i needed that help getting that help really really saved me but most of the thing that most of all that saved me was my friends and family who were there for me who didn't let me forget that the work that I put in was worth it. And they never let me forget that. And I thank you for that. Cause you were a big part of that. But a lot of people, veterans, we don't reach out to our to our other veterans. We don't reach out to each other. We don't reach out to our friends and family. We deal we try to deal with our shit on our own. and if anybody you know who listens to this is a veteran or even if they're not it's like you said before it's okay not to be okay reaching for that help you can have somebody in your life who is horrible for you who doesn't support you and you feel like you can't live without that certain person whether it's a friend or you know your wife your boyfriend your girlfriend whatever you have to get rid of those toxic people in your life in order to be okay. Because those are those that are, like, like you said, when people come home, the drugs and everything, that's one of the things veterans turned to was the alcohol, the drugs, because it's a temporary fix. It numbs you, and that feeling of being numb is what you need because you're not feeling that pain no more. It's gone. You're happy, and the enablers in your life. They're there not to necessarily help you heal. They're there to temporarily help you. And those are the people you gotta cut out of your life because if you don't cut them out, you're never gonna get better. You're never gonna be you. You're not gonna get that help. And it took me a while to realize that. I did have some friends when I came home that were enablers. Well, once I came to cut them out, I started to heal. I'll never fully be healed the scars that are there are there and they're never going to go away. I just know how to deal with them better now. And I know when I when I get a feeling I know when it's time to reach out and get that check in with that doctor more than I normally do. And as a, like to answer your question as a society, what do we need to do? Be there for the veterans, be there for anybody who reaches out for help. Because you know what if a, if a veteran takes their own life it's because they're in a lot of pain they don't know how to deal with it and they're trying to end their own pain they don't think about the pain that you know gives everybody else they think about their pain it's a temporary fix it's a permanent fix for you if you it's a permanent fix like you think as a permanent fix I'm not gonna say that it fixes everything because it doesn't it fixes nothing but as the thoughts go through your head it's well this permanently fixes for me I don't feel this pain no more you don't think about the pain that you give your friends your family the ones who you know want to be there for you but you push away because you're too afraid to get that help and it's a it it's a rough feeling, feeling like that, not knowing what people will think of you if you've got to reach out for help. That's it's not a good feeling. I've been there.
0: I think that's what causes a lot of stigma with mental health, especially with men. So we're closing in on an hour. So first off, let me thank Brad for everything. I think this was an absolutely great conversation. We touched on a lot. Um, the last couple minutes, I need to say a few things that I think we need to look at it from the civilian side. We do not demand enough of our politicians to make this shit right. We are worried about dumb fucking shit in comparison to what our men and women of service have dealt with. I don't want to hear again. I'm going to speak strictly from my own personal opinions. I don't want to hear shit again about loan forgiveness, student loan forgiveness. Until veteran homelessness is at zero. I don't want to hear about tax cuts for anybody. Rich, poor, I don't fucking care. Until 22 a day are gone. The number will be zero. I don't want to hear another politician talk about anything about themselves until veteran homelessness is done. Until the VA is fixed. We have to take a good, hard look at what we prioritize as our country and our society. And we do not demand enough from our politicians. We let them do whatever the fuck they want. We let them say whatever they want. We let them get away with the lies. We let them get away with the manipulation of the voting constituents. And it has to come to a stop. I'm putting my foot in the sand right now. I'm making my claim. I do not trust any of them. I do not care for any of them. There is not a politician in this country that I have found that leans anything close to how I feel societally and where I want my money to go. The men and women that serve this nation have been failed By the VA, by the USO, and by our federal government, our state government, our local governments. We've asked them to defend our freedoms. And the only thing they get is they get a nasty-ass fucking hot dog on Memorial Day, the 4th of July. And they get to go to an elementary school and have a bunch of kids that have no idea what they're talking about clap for a veteran on Veterans Day in the cafe gymatorium the fuck are we actually doing as a society this is embarrassing the stories brad told during this entire episode only made me angrier as i listened because i had a feeling this is what i was going to hear and i can't believe how right i was i was hoping i was over exaggerating it in my head and it is clear that i have not we have been seeing mental health issues in our veterans as, as long as time has gone back. And to Brad's point, which is an outstanding point, was we really saw it come to a head in the Vietnam War and all of the conflicts since. Just like our mental health, just like the things that we talked about in previous episodes, the veterans feel it on a whole nother level, and we refuse to listen. Well, I'm listening now. Hopefully the people that enjoyed this episode are going to start listening as well. The only thing I want to hear a politician fucking talk about from this moment forth is how do we help our men and women of service and how do we help the, the veterans of service and then we'll get everything else sorted out. Nothing else matters right now. Education can take a back seat. Gas prices can take a back seat. Student loan debt forgiveness can take a back seat. The January 6th, whatever that nonsense is, that shit can take a fucking back seat as well. These men and women have put their absolute lives, the lives of their families, they have risked everything for us to do what? slap a picture of a stupid-ass motherfucker on a flag and then waving around like we did something? Or a t-shirt with a fucking flag we bought on sale at Old Navy? To do what? This conversation really brings into perspective some of the things that I deal with, not diminishing things that I deal with and not diminishing any of the things that anyone that listens to this goes through. But there's always somebody that needs us more. And right now, that's our veterans. So with that, I'm going to close this episode out. I thank you guys for listening. And please don't ever forget that God loves you, and so do I. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you guys for tuning into the podcast. I am DJ Sharp, and this has been sharp thoughts hopefully you guys took something away from the podcast something that you guys can apply to your life to make something in your life better and always 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 remember god loves you and so do i i'll see you next time peace